world and welcome to No Dunks on the Athletic Network. It's Sunday, August 16th, and this is our official 2020 Western Conference Playoffs Preview Podcast. I'm J.E. Skeeton, joining us here on the horn. We got Tass Millis. Here we go, everybody. Hey, Tass, we got the bearded one, Trey Kirby. Hey, yo! Hey, yo! Yo! The international man of mystery, taking it to the max, Lee Ellis. Friends. Last but not least, making the magic happen, JD. Hello. There he is. And here we are on a Sunday. Yes, guys, make sure you check out our Eastern Conference Playoff Preview Podcast. We posted that on Friday. Tomorrow, Monday, August 17th, we're going to go live on YouTube around 10 a.m. Eastern with a brand new beach seppin. So get your questions and your comments in for that. No dunks at theathletic.com. I know we got some questions about Elvin Gentry being fired and the Kings front office shakeup and all that. So we'll get all to, to all of that on tomorrow's beach stepping. And finally, Tass, a big happy belated birthday, big guy. How you doing? <laughs> Terrible. No, I'm doing great. Thanks so much uh, for the well wishes out there. Yeah, it feels good to be 39. To be the old Dominic Hasek, the old uh, <laughs> Dave Parker, oh the new Dwight Howard, Dwight Howard, yeah, Ooh. Tom did Tolbert. You, did you get up to anything uh, special there on Saturday on your actual well, birthday? I, I had some family around. No, I dipped in the pool a little bit. Nice. Got a cake. That Ooh. was nice. Mm. Freshly made cake. Nothing like it. Nothing like it. Better than a cookie. <laughs> Better than a brownie? <laughs> what was our cake debate? Oh, our, our debate was whether or not we like those designer cakes. Right. Like biting into a piece of sushi, but uh, uh, it's a cake. <laughs> Everything is cake. It was just a regular cake. So mm-hmm. boring. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, happy birthday, man. All thanks. Right. Thanks. Let's start breaking down the Western Conference first round matchups. We now know them all because, man, we had a fantastic play-in game on Saturday uh, between the Blazers and Grizzlies. That was awesome. The Blazers pulling it out in the end. CJ McCollum hitting big shots, but the Blazers on to play the Lakers. It's the rare um, 1-8 matchup that is going to draw more than some passing interest. You know, this is the Blazers. They're maybe not really an 8 seed, you know, with the talent there. This one tips on Tuesday. August 18th, 9 p.m. Eastern on TNT. So it's getting the marquee spot there. Lakers took the season series. Two out of three they won. And the key injuries, you know, we've got no Avery Bradley going for the Lakers. So that's tough. You're losing him on possibly guarding Damian Lillard. And then there's no Trevor Ariza uh, for the Blazers. And that would have helped in probably guarding a LeBron James type. So they're not there. There might be some other ones as well. What's going on with Rondo. But let's get into the keys to the series here. Tass, why don't you get us started? Lakers, Blazers, what are you watching? You mentioned it right there, Skeets. I don't know if I've ever been more excited for a 1-8 matchup. But yeah, hot Damian Lillard going against this Lakers team that has been struggling offensively is what I'm looking at. The Lakers offense, with two of the best players in the game, had the 20th ranked offense in the bubble. The Pacers, what? The Magic? The Nets were all better. They have not looked like themselves. But I think the fact that the Blazers are playing well has just put the Lakers on high alert. That they got to come out ready to play. And I think they sort of came into the bubble you know, a little lackadaisical, knowing, especially LeBron being 35 years old, knowing that he's going to have to turn it up for the playoffs. They didn't really have a lot to play for. They basically had the one seed locked up. Uh, so I think this is the perfect defense to go up against to find their flow. Uh, <laughs> because the, yeah, you mentioned Trevor Rees is not there. This Blazers defense, it just doesn't have any answers for those two incredible players. And then everybody else falls in line. Yeah, they don't have Avery Bradley. Yeah, they don't have Rajon Rondo. But... Who's going to stop LeBron? Melo's guarding him. Zach Collins is guarding him. Gary Trent is probably the guy who's going to get some some time on him. I, I, the, he played three games against Portland this year. The only meh game ha- was when uh, Trevor Reza had come over from Sacramento. And he's obviously not there. The, the, he's the best option of all those guys I mentioned. Yeah. Anthony Davis, same thing. Zach Collins, Nurkic, Whiteside. He did a number on the Blazers two years ago when they played in the playoffs. And when the Pelicans swept the Blazers... So as much as people are pumped that the Blazers could take some games and, and we were all hot and heavy on that side as well uh, a, few, a few weeks ago, especially when uh, you know the Blazers were super, super hot, uh, I think this kind of wakes up the Lakers and I think they'll be ready to play and that offense will be ready to go in game one. AD and, and Braun will be ready. Yeah, I saw the old uh, Schumann stat for you here early in the podcast. You're talking about the Lakers offense struggling, which it has. They can't hit shots. 
But Anthony Davis and LeBron in like the eight bubble games, they shot 72.4% in the restricted area. <laughs> so money when they got in there and attacked, um, but just 26.1% outside it combined. AD Lee is ice cold in shooting the ball. And you would expect the Blazers are going to keep testing that. Like, go ahead and shoot. We'll live with that because he missed 22 out of 25 mid-range shots. Uh, in the bubble. He just can't hit a shot right now, again, outside of the paint. So that will be interesting to watch with how the Blazers, I assume, try and play him. But can he stay that cold forever? I mean, it doesn't feel like it. He he also, you know, destroyed the Blazers a couple years ago in the playoffs uh, in terms of scoring the ball and rebounding and blocking. I mean, he was dominant in that. We always talk about the guards winning that. Drew Holiday and Rondo were amazing in that series. But AD was a monster. So we can see if he can get it going again. Yeah, I mean, you've got to pick your poison there with AD. I mean, yeah. you kind of, if that's his weakest spot right now, then yeah, let him get, let him take those shots. But if he gets hot, then uh, I don't know how you stop him from there. The thing is, Anthony Davis, he started off this bubble on fire. But then as the Lakers wrapped up that seed, like most of the Lakers, you could just tell they just didn't have that same juice. Now yeah. they're playing for something again. They're rested, they're fresh. They know they're coming in against a hot opponent. So. I expect that while they may still not be, you know, perfect on offense, I think you're going to see a much more uh, valiant effort from them and just much more focus on what their goal is going to be in the in the playoffs here, and that's to get AD going as much as possible. So, yeah, I, I expect that uh, he will be a big, big point of what the Lakers try to do and uh, very, very tough equation for how the Blazers even slow him down, let alone hope that he struggles. Yeah. What, uh, what's the one thing then you're watching? Is it that AD-Nurk matchup or is it something else? <laughs> well, first off, I will say, uh, Nurk, what an incredible performance yesterday under the conditions and circumstances playing under his grandmother passing away just before the game. Um, I wondered if he was even going to play that game because his heart must have been heavy. Instead, he goes out there and puts on just an incredible performance uh, to help get his team over the line. But like most of the Blazers now, uh, their workload only gets bigger and heavier, and especially for Nurkic. You said at the start here that the Blazers don't feel like a number eight seed, and I think a big part of that is is because they didn't have Nurk until the yeah. bubble this season. Yeah. Now Nurk's come along, and he's been incredible for them. And he has to do so much work now at both ends of the floor. Offensively, he has to make Davis work, and if, if he's even going to guard, uh, Davis is going to guard him. And then defensively, you look at the bigs matchup. The Blazers technically have three in Nurkic, Hassan Whiteside, and Zach Collins, but Whiteside, we know, he turns up and plays when he feels like it. And they Zach were playing Collins. Whiteside and Nurkic together yeah. against yeah. the Grizzlies. That was Wild. crazy. Yeah. I, I mean, the thing about Whiteside, he's a big body, you know, big, big long arms, but he just doesn't have the effort to uh, compete. And Zach Collins is not a big in that same sense. He's a floor spacer in some regard. But he Zach Collins has been horrible. Yeah, too. Uh, yeah. He I mean, really you, has been he's just been as bad. brutal. You yeah. think if he's out there trying to guard Dwight Howard, he, Dwight will, I mean, just destroy him. He may be able to spread the floor a little bit the other way, maybe, but uh, he just physically isn't big enough. So that means Nurkic basically is going to have to do all that heavy lifting for the Blazers inside because you've got JaVale, you've got Dwight, and of course Anthony Davis. So um, Nurkic, just again, the fact that he's even out there playing and performing at this level, coming off the injury for one, and now dealing with this emotional uh, situation with his family is incredible. And now, I mean, the Blazers have basically played a first-round playoff series already in their last three or four games just to get to this point. So you think they're going to be... Um, emotionally fatigued themselves, but they have to go out there now and go up against an enormous front line there. So if he can stay on the floor, though, and make the Lakers work defensively, it just gives the Blazers an, um, some sort of hope on the offensive end because, you know, defensively, they're going to they're gonna struggle. So I hope Nurk can sort of perform the way he has so far in the bubble and keep working hard at it. Um, and I don't think can, anyone's played harder. No, I know. Nurkic. I know. Honestly, I mean, that's I was like, oh, they're all playing hard, you idiot. But like... He feels like more than anyone hitting the floor, obviously giving it his all. He's exhausted yeah. half the time you see him and you're the end of games, of course. Playing heavy minutes, like you said, having to ask to do so much both offensively and defensively, sort of, though it's not a bunch there that they're doing not much of a fight they're putting up on that end. Yeah, he is he's really impressed. Like he's just yeah. busted his ass. I'm glad you had him on your all bubble team <laughs> looking back at it. <laughs> yeah. Glad you stuck him but, on the second he, team. Yeah, it does have to work his ass off defensively because of the way guys get blown by on the perimeter, right? Yeah. So he is He's got to cover a lot of area. And I think the, the, the thing about the Lakers is they're a huge team. Now, now JaVale and Dwight Howard have something to play for here. They have a role. They got to yeah. go stop Nurkic. They got to keep him off the boards. And yeah. every, every game you saw, we watched the Blazers, Nurkic was on that offensive glass. Extra point, extra points, extra points. Now JaVale and Dwight, this is their task going in here. They don't have to score all that much. Just go try and get the, keep this guy off the glass. Sure. And keep that 
that uh, that huge factor that he was to a minimum. I think that that bodes well for the Lakers just because they're one of the teams that can handle Nurk. Yep. Yeah. Oh, no doubt guys. about it. You're gonna Lee. You're gonna have to put him in touch with your IV guy though, because this is gonna be <laughs> crazy for Nurkic. He's gonna probably like we're saying he's probably their best choice for Anthony Davis. But then who's keeping Javale and Dwight Ooh. Howard off the glass? If Nurkic doesn't grab a rebound, pretty much nobody else on the Blazers is gonna grab a rebound. That's why he looks exhausted. At halftime, you know, he had, what, 18 rebounds or something in the first half yesterday? And he was just dripping in sweat. It's going to be yeah. like that every single game for him. And then he's got to also be a huge hub offensively. Um, I was excited about the Blazers about a week ago, thinking they could go to seven games. But now I actually do think they look a lot like an eighth seed. They're really easy to score on. They don't have a lot of depth. Uh, and they certainly don't have anybody to guard the Lakers' two best players. Yeah, that's my, I mean, that's my key to the series. I mean, let's just get into that, is like, like you were talking about, Lee, like this fatigue factor. Like how can they not be tired, really, when you think about what the Blazers just did? Almost all nine games they've played down there in the bubble so far are like were like playoff games. I mean, the stakes were super high. They had to win these games to like get into the play-in and all that. They doled out massive minutes to their starters, to their stars, really. I mean, Stotts, he's gone to the rotation of like eight guys, and they're like their main guys are playing 40 minutes each. You talked about, um, or you heard, I should say, McCollum and Dame after that game on Saturday. Like, the number one thing they were talking about was, like, we needed to win this game. Technically, they didn't because there would have been another <laughs> game. But they're like, we needed a couple days off. We are gassed. Like, we had to rest on Sunday. And then we get Monday. And then we can play the play the Lakers in the 1-8 matchup. Like, they just are that tired. And can CJ McCollum, I mean, we're talking about Nurk. Can he hold up just from going back and up and down the floor and all that and doing everything? Is CJ physically going to be able to hold up? He's been incredible playing with this fractured back. He was amazing, as I said, hitting all these shots, scoring 29 in the playing game. Can that last, though? I mean, because that's where the, the Blazers have an advantage. It's their guard play, right? It's obviously, of course, Lillard who can go for 50 any night. McCollum is still money, but is, can he just keep playing? I mean, guys got to be in pain. And one you know, loose ball, one tough pick, or you know, an elbow somewhere in there going for a rebound, it could be it for CJ. Oh, yeah. So the fatigue factor, and I'm still high on their chances to win some games, but like... God, they gotta be exhausted. And now yeah. they play like Tass said, like these big ass Lakers. Who, yeah, they might be invested a little bit more because these games matter. And uh, oh yeah, LeBron James might actually start playing like LeBron of old. Yeah, I mean CJ was incredible yesterday. Uh, like the game seven against Denver, hitting those big shots. Yeah. But he was doing it against John Morant a couple of times, which you know respect to John Morant. But now he's going to have KCP in his face, who's just a more experienced defender. Um, you know, and again, is fresh and is rested. So. That's going to be so much uh, tougher for CJ. But he he stunk in a, a couple of games ago. CJ couldn't get it going, and Dame had to do it all. But if the Blazers have any hope, CJ basically has to be at that level yeah. for the entire series. For at and, least four uh, games. Yeah. At, yeah, at minimum of four games. But uh, that's the thing with the Blazers. I mean, they're, they're so much effort just to get here, and now they go up against a team that has been one of the best defensive teams all season long. Yeah. All right, Trey, what's your uh, key to this series? Anything you want to add? We haven't talked much about LeBron James, and I think it's kind of we're just expecting him to go out there and dominate. Hasn't really put his stamp offensively on any of the games uh, for the Lakers, I don't think. His biggest moments seem to be uh, shutting down Paul George and Kawhi Leonard on opening night restart defensively right there at the end. And we, you know, it's basically been talking about how he hasn't adjusted to the gym so far. And, you know, if he doesn't like the shooting backdrop and how the Lakers just haven't been perfect this is a good time for LeBron to get perfect because it does seem like Melo's going to be guarding him. Who else can <laughs> guard start, it? Yeah. Right? Cause, and that's the crazy thing. The Blazers, they don't make the playoffs without Melo. He's been really good for him in the bub. Yep. 16 and a half points a game, seven rebounds, a couple of threes, clutch threes. Clutch all... threes. Like four games he's hit like big shots. Either oh, down you feel or pick good. Up. Yeah. yeah, you feel good when you kick the ball and it's Melo in the corner, right? And it's not Mario Hazonia. What a call to bring him in and get him off the scrap heap of the NBA. He has been great. But when you look at the Lakers front line, Melo is probably going to have to start guarding LeBron and it didn't work in 2012. That was eight years ago. I went back and watched the highlights. What a trip to see some of the people that are out here. Mike Bibby in a Knicks uniform. <laughs> Josh Harrelson was <laughs> getting minutes. It was wild, man. Baron Davis, I think, was wearing number 85. Uh, Melo did have a great game four, but uh, he shot like 22% on threes that series. Ooh. And that's the only time they've ever met in the playoffs. So yeah. kind of crazy that we're seeing it now when, you know, Melo was a guy who was out of the league and is now uh, a vital part of the Blazers where LeBron, we're just hoping to see 
if he can get back to where he was in March, because that was a thing with the Lakers, was that they had such great chemistry. They had been playing most of their guys the entire season without a lot of injuries that kept them out of the out of the starting lineup and were able to build that cohesion that made them a top-five defense, a top-five offense. They haven't found that yet uh, so far in Orlando, but they'll find it offensively, and I would think defensively as well. You know, the guards are going to be tough, but everywhere else, the Lakers have a lot of advantages. Maybe we're getting a throwback, Mello. That'd be awesome. Get the throwback. Mello drops out. But uh, it's tough. Mello's never been a lockdown guy, and now you're asking him to guard one of his closest friends when it really, really counts. <laughs> was Mike was Mike Bibby the double O on the Knicks then? Was that, was that the number he wore? Mm, he could oh, have been a double O. I don't remember him at all on the Knicks. Like, I mean, I know I he bounced around. I think there's a reason for that. Yeah. yeah, he bounced around a bit, but man, I don't remember that. I remember he came to the Hawks for a while, I think. But okay, that's enough, Mike Bibby. <laughs> enough, Mike Bibby. You yeah. cut your mic if you keep going on. Uh, yeah, anything that's to add here, Taz? Well, I'll just jump in. I, I agree, or I, I do wonder about LeBron coming into the bubble here, and just the fact that they were just sort of all kind of discombobulated. The Lakers team, which is strange, but I, I, I think back to October when they started the season, game one. They look great. And yeah, they were the mo- most cohesive team uh, in the NBA. So I just think that they'll come out when they want to and be cohesive. I know it's a weird thing to say, but I think that's what's going to happen. And I-, I hope Mello doesn't try and be, you know, Nuggets Mello or Knicks Mello, because that'll just take away from what they are, right? Like that's, he's perfect now because he's not OKC Mello. He's not Rockets Mello. He's there, ready to fire at all times. And yeah, he'll have the occasional sort of mid post post up, but that's it. And uh, I think he's got to save all that energy for the defensive side, which is not going to be pretty. I think you're going to see a lot of Gary Trent out there on LeBron, which probably Yikes. won't be that pretty. No. Um, he's going to try, but that's that's all they have. Uh, and they're just going to have to uh, hope that they keep popping threes and they can outscore them like they just did against the the Grizzlies and the Nets that they scored, they went 135 to 130 and it was stupid that Trey and I took the six and a half points for the Blazers because they just can't blow anybody out. Right. And they just got to expect, uh, again, hope that maybe the Lakers and AD just have a bad shooting night because that's their only hope. Come on. Yeah. But, and Hey, the Lakers, they can't shoot right now. I mean, it's not just LeBron and AD from outside the paint. Danny Green has not been good. Of course he's, we know he's very streaky. They I'm with you. Like Blazers just have to, you know, obviously ride the backs of Lillard and McCollum trying to continue to do what they're doing. Uh, Nurk being pretty damn impressive down low in the block and just hope for whatever reason, the sight lines, the no fans, whatever, uh, that they can't hit shots. They have to just back the hell up as much as possible and uh, try and keep them out of the paint, try and keep the big Lakers off the boards of grabbing offensive rebounds like Dwight and JaVale and AD and LeBron in there and he wants. And yeah, just hope they can... Just hit more damn shots, especially from three. And to, to have a chance to pull off this upset, this 1-8 upset, would be pretty amazing. So let's get to our predictions then. Task, get us started. What, are you going, is this a sweep to you because the Blazers are too tired? Is that disrespectful to a guy like Dame? What do you say? Yeah, I don't know if I really buy into them being super tired. Emotionally tired, sure. Injured, sure, with CJ McCollum. Uh, but they did have months off coming into this bubble, so I think the playoffs will just be a little bit better for that because this isn't month seven of the season in a way. And it's really going to come down to whether the Lakers can find their flow. And so I'll give the Blazers a game. Uh, I wouldn't be surprising if they took two, but I'll, I'll go Lakers just because they're just so much better in five games. Okay. Trey. Yeah, I'm with Tass. I think uh, it's hard to say the Blazers aren't going to win a game after we've seen them win a bunch of clutch games just to make it into the playoffs. And Lillard obviously has been playing incredibly well. You think he'll probably get hot, maybe put up another 50 spot at some point. But I'm going to go Lakers in five. I think LeBron and AD will both shoot over 80% this series. (laughs) (laughs) Like you guys are talking about maybe the Lakers get cold from three i'm wondering if they're even going to take threes yeah right right like they can they can play it could be like a a football game where a team just rushes 500 times and throws six passes they're just going to dunk every single time and if they if they happen to miss a shot from 15 feet they'll probably get the rebound again yeah, okay, so two Lakers and five. Lee, where are you leaning? You yeah. like all the sweeps there in the Eastern Conference. You sticking yeah. with it here? Uh, there's no way I'm going to predict a sweep against okay. Dame, uh, even though it's probably the highest uh, possibility of happening right now. But uh, I think Lillard just carries them to at least one victory. Um, so, yeah, Lakers in five. 
Uh, okay, well, I can't change my tune now. For weeks, I've been saying, no matter who the Lakers play in the first round, they're going to drop two. It's going to be a fight. It's going to be a <laughs> bit of a battle, especially for a 1-8 matchup, which usually is like, all right, sweep or five, like you guys are saying. Lakers in six, though. Uh, I, I think they somehow pull it off. It'll be a mixture of maybe the Lakers still looking a little rough. Maybe LeBron's still not up to speed. Maybe he is affected by no fans for all we know. It's very weird, but uh, maybe there is some truth to that. And then, yeah, I'm not, come on, Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. I mean, both guys going for 30-plus on any given night. I think wins them two. Um, I really hope they win one of the first two games. Like, I like yeah. even the first game would be awesome because it would be like, ooh, now this is this is spicy. This could be interesting because then you got to really wake up the Lakers and they really got to play. So, all right, I got Lakers in six. Everybody else has Lakers in five. Our next matchup, the number two seed Clippers versus the number seven seed Mavericks. This one goes on Monday. This is the late game, uh, August 17th, 9 p.m. Eastern on ESPN. Clippers took the season series 3-0, pretty dominant. Um, let's get right into this one, though, Tass. What's the key to this? Well, Luka Doncic in his first playoffs going up against those defenders from L.A. I, I, it's no, There's no really way to stop Luka Doncic, but... Uh, Beverly, Kawhi, Paul George should be able to slow him down. And I wonder how Luke is going to be able to play in fourth quarters because, yeah, he's sort of James Harden-like, you know, going back a few years that in that he has to do so much for his team, possession after possession after possession. And they kind of slowed him in, in those three games. Uh, but then I think, you know, this offense is too good. The other guys will find shots, whether it's Porzingis or other guys on this Dallas team. But then you look at the way Luca has been struggling in clutch situations, and I don't even want to believe these stats. I mean, they're just <laughs> so bad under five minutes when the game is really close. I'm not even going to mention them because they're. I think they're they're these stats that I don't. I just I just don't buy a lot into them. I don't think you can take a lot from them. But the part of that I do believe is that he does too much for this team, and he needs another ball handler to to, to take on some more role, and especially with those guys I mentioned. I think we're going to see as the series goes on, especially in every fourth quarter, uh, the shots will be short from Luca, and he'll be passing off. And he always makes the right pass, but I just don't see the end of games going well in close game situations. And I expect games to be close because the Mavericks offense is that good. Mm -hmm. But when it's winning time and Patrick Beverly wants to be super annoying and Kawhi is going to be Kawhi and Paul George is going to be Paul George on the defensive end. It's going to be hard for Luka to get shots off, to have any space out there when they really, really want to play D for the last five minutes of the game. So I'm going to be watching Luka real closely in those last few minutes and hope those clutch numbers, which are like 15% from the floor, what? Uh, 15% from three uh, and and. It's like 25% from the floor, I should say. Um, it's not good, yeah. No. He needs a it's CJ crazy. McCollum, it's is what you're saying. <laughs> right? Yeah. He needs a second ball here. He needs a guy to like break some ankles like CJ could. But maybe it's Porzingis, Trey. Why not KP? He's not breaking ankles, but could you go to him? He's been really damn good. He's scored 30 points per game down there. 30 and 10 in the bubble. That's great. They need it every single night from Porzingis if Dallas is going to get any wins off the Clippers because the advantages the Clippers have are massive. And they're basically everywhere, right? They've got more depth. They've got more high-end talent. They've got more talent on the wing. They've got better guards. Everywhere you look, it's all Clippers, except for down low. Maybe Kristaps Porzingis uh, can swing a game by being a real big guy. You know, Zubats has been pretty good for the Clippers in the bubble, but if Porzingis can keep him off the glass and then use his quickness advantage on the offensive end, that's good for Dallas. Montrez Harrell hasn't played yet. Porzingis is going to have size over a Jamichael Green who might guard him, maybe a Morris who guards him. He could just shoot right over him. And yeah. the great thing is with Porzingis, he's not a great post player, uh, but the Clippers aren't a team that's going to force you to want to go to Porzingis in the post, I don't think. I think he'll be able to play his game and still be successful doing it. There's not a lot of creators on Dallas's team. So you need to be able to go to Porzingis and give him the ball with 10 seconds left on the shot clock. And even if it's just a fadeaway over somebody from 15 feet, he should be able to shoot over him. He's been playing super well as of late. We just need to see Porzingis continue to be reliable for Dallas's offense to carry to them to any sort of wins they might get here. And I'm a little confident in it. I think he's been really, really good and, uh, and reliable thus far. So we'll see if it keeps up. We'll see if uh what the Clippers try against him because, you know, he's super tall. And that's going to be a huge advantage uh for Dallas, especially since you guys imagine Maxi Kleber get a little bit of time as well. So Porzingis probably slides up to the 5 quite a bit. We'll see. We'll see if Boban gets on the court, but uh I'm not very confident in Dallas, but uh, you know Cor Porzingis has been right there with Doncic. Um 
looking like a number two star in Orlando. And that's something that wasn't always the case during the season. So you, I do feel a little bit, a little bit better about Dallas than I would have in March. Yeah, I wonder if they should just like, hey, Porzingis, you should shoot 15 threes mm-hmm. a game. And like, I mean, their offense is not the problem. That's true. They, I mean, they got to try and get some stops. But there's not really anyone on the on the Clippers, despite being a great, obviously, defensive unit, that's going to stop him. Like, he could bomb away if he wants. And maybe that's the best bet. I, I don't know. It's it, who knows? Got- Rick Carlisle will try something like that, I, I feel like. It's like, yeah. Shoot 15, 23s, like you hit eight of them, we're, you know, we're happy. Lee, yeah, what, uh, Seven what? attempts per game in the bubble and yeah. 38%. That's pretty good. Jack, sure. Yeah, he got, into, he got into the paint against the Clippers in their bubble game. He realized, I'm the biggest dude on the floor. Like, I am going to go to the paint. And he had eight shots in the paint. And whether, you know, they're post-ups or not, he drove. And he just yeah. realized, all right. I mean, there's space out there with the, the way they play. And he had 30 points that game. He just... Like the Lakers going up against the Clippers, uh, they have that advantage. You know, the the Mavs have a size advantage for that one position. He's he's got to hammer it. Yeah, but like you said, like this is Luca's first playoff experience. It's also Porzingis's first playoff experience. I don't know mm-hmm. if it'll matter at all, but uh, sometimes the buttholes get tight with some of these guys <laughs> uh, when the games actually truly really matter. Here, the stakes are uh, stakes are high. But Lee, what are you watching in this? Well, yeah, just one more thing with Porzingis against the Clippers this season. He only shot 35%. So uh, he and Doncic both struggled. And, and that's why I think it's down to those other players on the Mavericks offensively. Dorian Finney-Smith, Tim Hardaway Jr., Maxi Kleber. And remember Trey Burke hit eight threes in the first game of the bubble? Well, yeah. he hit eight for the remaining games of the bubble as well. So I'm not sure if you're going to uh, get too much out of him. But the point is that... If Dallas is going to win any games in this series at all, it's, they just have to outrun the Clippers and make it a track meet and score 150 points. So everyone just needs to score. And um, they're going to get chances because you know that the defense on Luke is going to be pretty tight. So I think the Clippers are going to say, let these guys beat us. Mm-hmm. So if they are knocking in shots and the Mavs are at least keeping up with the Clippers, then they have a chance. But if those guys go cold and we know they can all go as cold as they can go hot, then it really just makes it tough because Doncic struggled against the Clippers this season. You know, Porzingis, we've already mentioned, he's got an opportunity there, but you feel that the Clippers will be like, we can we can guard these two guys and, and let those other guys go. So um, it, it's, it's a little bit like the Houston Rockets, basically. It's like if you can get these other guys hitting shots, then it changes a little bit the, uh, the outlook of this game. But if Doncic is struggling and then those other guys aren't able to hit shots, it's really tough to see how Dallas is going to be able to keep up with the Clippers. So, um, you know, they're all capable guys and they're all going to get minutes. Rick Carlisle is just going to throw them all out there. He doesn't go super deep in the playoffs either. But And, and their offense is just, you know, get out, run and shoot if you're open. So if they can knock them down, then it's okay for the Mavs. But if they can't, then uh, they're in real trouble in this series. Are you predicting a Tim Hardaway Jr. 50-point game in the playoffs? <laughs> Why not? Why not? You know, it's uh, it's possible. Like, I'm sure he's... You know what? I'll predict a 30-point half. How about that? Oh, yeah, he's <laughs> good for that. He always yeah. does that. And yeah. then he's like, yeah. never comes through on the 50 for me. But, exactly. Yeah. It might be the second half, might be the first half. But uh, the, the fact is, those guys are going to get shots. They're going to get opportunities. Yeah. They have to knock them down. That's really the only way I see the Mavericks keeping this thing close at all. Yeah, you need a couple random podium games from the strange guys on the Mavs, like you're saying, to to maybe make this a series. I hear you on that. Uh, Look, I think the Clippers are going to ultimately win this series. It might be entertaining, um, and it might go a little longer than some expect, but I'm just zeroing in on like the full clips here because this team, they've only had their entire roster intact. I think it's like seven games all season long. This was prior to the bubble, of course, because then down there, you know, Lou Williams wasn't there. Montrose Harrell missed a lot of time, uh, tending to personal matters. Patrick Beverly in and out of the lineup. The Mavs, uh, you know, they should just be like a little appetizer for the full clips, I think, here. Maybe even the hot towel before the meal, um, <laughs> before they try to make this like deep playoff run. So that's just something to watch. Like, And what I mean by that is like, well, who's playing? Who's playing in, in clutch minutes, crunch time? Where does Doc go? I mean, it depends, of course, on the matchups from series to series. I get that. But, like, that is interesting to me. Like, if this Clippers team is a legit title contender, and I think a lot of people still believe it, um, you know, they should they should handle the Mavs here. And it's just something to keep an eye on all these guys, like who's in playing with who and where are they going. So I, I will say, before we get to the predictions, the Athletics' Jovan Buha, he wrote, and we were talking about this with the Blazers. Were they a typical eight seed? He wrote, are the Mavericks really a typical seven seed, right? Because they have an MVP candidate in Luka. They got an all-star level big in Porzingis. Their coach is a championship coach, you know, an elite tactician, as Jovan says, in Rick Carlisle. 
best offense of all time, all time. And they have the third best net rating in the West behind the Clippers and Lakers. This is the seventh seed. Um, that's a you know pretty damn good little checklist there for a seventh seed. So I don't know. Does that make a series for you, Tass? Can the Mavs go upset? Can they make this go seven? What's your prediction? Definitely the best offense in the NBA today, but I think it gets slowed down a little bit playing the Clippers full Clipper. Uh, you know, when they want to go at it, when Patrick Beverly is definitely going to get five fouls per game, but save that sixth because he doesn't want to foul out. They are going to be all over dunk. And the, the reason why they're not great is because they have a drop off defensively. And I think the Clippers will take advantage of that. Hey, I think it should be fun. I think there should be close games down the stretch, but Clippers will be good enough to win in five, I think. Clips in five. Wow. Okay, Trey. I'm the same. Uh, I'm looking forward to the series. I think it's going to be a, a really fun watch, but when your Kawhi stopper is Maxi Kleba, it's not going to go well. Give me the Clippers in five. Lee? I don't think it even goes that far. I, I think the Clippers have just got too much at both ends. I think they sweep them. I, I, I do. Yeah, Goodness. I just, I mean, the Dallas defense is, uh, is, is awful. Um, offensively, like I said, they've got, some, they've got some guys who can fill it up, but uh, I think the Clippers are... Uh, well equipped to defend them so um i think i think if this was a an actual series where you're going to dallas and you're going to los angeles i'd probably pick the mavs to win at least one maybe two but right. uh, down there i just think the uh the clippers are going to be too good i mean I, yeah I, who, who's going to stop Kawhi on the on the uh mavs i can't i can't figure it out and i think uh patrick beverly is uh is uh back too so that's another you know bulldog who's going to come out and uh, and go at Doncic and uh, just make it so hard for the mavs so uh, Clippers in a sweep. Oh, wow. Okay, I'm going Clippers in six. I got a little more faith in an MVP guy in Luka to figure out a win or two. And I'm and I'm high, like you said, Trey, on Porzingis um, being the one real problem, like maybe for the Clippers to try and figure out. And uh, again, I think Carlisle would try anything if that includes just let's go to KP every single damn time. Sure, why not? Uh, and he's been good. This is good. Porzingis is bomb hauling. So... I think uh, him maybe with, like you said, a weird random Mav guy catching fire, getting open looks, hitting a bunch of threes, that gets him a, a W. Luca gets him one. That's two, and that's it. But uh, I hope, like Tass said, I hope it's a, I hope it's a competitive series. Even if you think it's a sweep or five, like close games down the stretch. <laughs> Can Luca hit some shots in crunch time? You know, Kawhi and Paul George are going to be matched up on him, so that'd be a fun watch. So hopefully, we get that at the very least. I got Clippers in six. Lee's got the sweep. Clips. The other two guys, Clippers, in five. All right, two more series still to break down and predict here. But first, a quick word from the people who pay the bills. Guys, look at me. Yeah, look at my face. Look at what quarantine life has done to your boy Skeets. I look insane. My beard is long. It's gnarly. It's unkempt. It's crazy. (laughs) Now what I want you to do is replace my face with my penis. Because that's what's going on basically downstairs. This look right here, all of this, same thing down there. And I'm not proud of it. I've been lazy. But thank God for Manscaped, who are dedicated to helping me and you level up your full body grooming game. My dick beard is in dire need of the Perfect Package 3.0 kit, which comes with the Essential Lawnmower 3.0 waterproof cordless body trimmer and many other liquid formulations to round out the manscaping routine. You need the right tools for the job. You want to catch a bass, you need a fishing pole. You want to record a classic, you need a mic. You want to shave your pubes, you need Manscaped. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code THEATHLETIC20. And for a limited time, Though they have a loose definition of limited, I will say. <laughs> Subscribers get not one, but two free gifts. The Shed what are Travel they? Bag. Yeah, what the Shed are Travel they? Bag. $39 value. Still $39 value. It's amazing. That's good. That's good. And the patented high-performance anti-chafing Manscaped boxer briefs that you definitely want to wear if you're going to fall into a lake. So go to manscaped.com today and use the code THEATHLETIC20. Okay. 3-6. Denver Nuggets versus the Utah Jazz. George Carl is pumped. Game one, Monday, <laughs> August 17th, 1.30 p.m. Eastern. He's not pumped about that. He wishes it was on a little bit later. This one's on ESPN. Nuggets took the season series um, 3-0, but 
All three of those games were very, very close, including that double overtime victory down in the bubble. In fact, I think Denver took the three games by a combined 11 points. So very, very tight. No Boyan Bogdanovich for the Jazz. We know that. And the Nuggets, I don't know. Maybe you guys know. Still without Gary Harris and Will Barton? I mean, (laughs) TBD, I guess, on those two, whether they're going to actually be playing in this series. I'm not really quite sure. But task, get us started here. Key to the Nuggets Jazz 3-6 series. I wonder if the Jazz can score enough against this Nuggets offense. And this is another series I'm looking forward to because I like watching Denver's offense work. It's pretty watching Michael Porter's smooth game and Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray and up and down the roster. I I think they're going to score enough, but they'll probably let the Jazz into games because they, they haven't been all that spicy enough on the defensive end but Paul Millsap will definitely play and start along those three and then the fifth starter I don't know if it's Torrey Craig or Gary Harris if he comes back there's a balance of offense and defense there but they'll probably let the Jazz score some but this this isn't even like a uh, a scientific or a, a numerical observation but just watching the Utah Jazz play they're obviously going to get lots from Donovan Mitchell but I, I just outside, because Boy Bogdanovich isn't there I just don't have faith in Rudy Gobert and Joe Ingles and Mike Conley chipping in 18 each time. You might get a, a wild Jordan Clarkson game with 30 off the bench, but those three guys I mentioned, plus Royce O'Neal and Donovan Mitchell, are their starters, and I don't think they can keep up. You know, Donovan Mitchell has been good in clutch time situations when it's it's give him the ball, make it happen, real good stats, but his teammates are two for 19 in clutch situations. And so, yeah, there might be close games because the Nuggets will – their, their defense has not been incredible. There should be some close games down the stretch, but I have a lot more faith in Jokic in his driveway dad game or Michael Porter Jr. Uh, to finish them off. And so I, I'm just, I just don't like watching that Jazz offense. It's just not, not great without Bogdanovich. And, and a guy like Joe Ingles is probably their barometer. If he's, if he's really good, uh, then they'll be good. But he just hasn't found his flow, and I'm – I keep holding out faith for Mike Conley for some reason, but he hasn't—he just hasn't been Memphis Mike Conley. And so, yeah, I've, I just wonder if they can keep up with this beauty Denver Nuggets offense. No one's stock, it feels like, has dropped more than the Utah Jazz over oh, yeah. the course of this season for a number of reasons, I get. But wow, feels like we were so high on Utah. I'm saying we as like maybe us and the media and like, now it just feels like people are so down on them. People are like, Ugh, I don't know, the Jazz. Like, I guess we'll throw them on at one thirty on ESPN. No one wants to watch Utah. It just well, so, it, like that seems a little strange to me because, yeah, outside of losing Bogdanovich, not much has changed. I mean, you still got Mitchell. We saw what he can do. Still take over games at the end in that one double overtime loss, even here to Denver, and then go bear manning the middle. It's just weird to me. I do what I love about this series is that it feels like both teams wanted each other. You know, Lee, like they were like jockeying to be like, oh, no, no. Denver's like, yo, we want to play Utah. Oh, they're not that great anymore. And Utah's like, no, no, no. We want to drop so we can play Denver. We don't want nothing to do with Houston. So, like, we think we can beat them. So, I like that. I think both teams are coming into this fight going, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is who we want. We can beat these guys. So, that'll make for maybe an interesting series. But, Lee, why don't you go to your next point here? Like, what's the key to the series for you? Well, Michael Porter Jr. has been a revelation down there in the uh, in the bubble. Certainly started off, you know, super hot. He cooled off the last couple of games, but then again, the Nuggets kind of uh, rested some of their star players. And now he comes into this series, and I think he is really just an incredibly tough matchup defensively for the Jazz. I'm not sure who they put on. Probably Royce O'Neal, maybe Joe Ingles. You know, I'm not sure who else it would be. And on the defensive end, maybe they can use their speed to get around Michael Porter Jr. make him work. But he's just been so good for Denver, adding that extra offensive weapon to them that um, it just you know he can shoot the three, he can go inside, and once he gets into the paint, he rises up. You can virtually unstoppable that shot. So he's been so so good for Denver. And you know what you're saying there about how these teams want each other. You can see why because Denver at times. Yeah. Denver at times are just like, what the hell is going on? And then other times you think, man, these they could easily take the Clippers or the Lakers in a series if they are playing at their best. So, um, But the Jazz defensively, and a lot of it I think is with, with Gobert, He's been bad this year defensively, I think, and uh, and that's that's what they that's I think their he's staple. Been bad defensively I by think his that's standards a for sure. He has. by his he, standards maybe for he's sure. still top three teams, you know, in defensive. Yeah, players. I know, but teams are teams are trying to exploit him, and and it's working a little bit. It, it did this year anyway. Um, but anyway, I think I think Michael Porter Jr. is just such a handful for for the Jazz to stop him. And if he gets going, if he gets up to those thirty point games again, I really see the uh, mm-hmm. the Nuggets winning this series pretty comfortably. But 
I also don't think he's going to do it in it. Like, I don't think it's going to be a sweep. I think, uh, I think you know, Porter Jr. is going to be good, but I don't think he can just do it game after game after game. I think uh, this is going to be a tougher series in that sense. But he's just come along, and you could see why, you know, people were so high on him before he got drafted, why he dropped because of the injury. And now you can see that he's got the talent when he's healthy. Um, he's just a huge difference maker. Yeah, that's the thing with both these teams. I feel like there's such a roller coaster ride. It's like from one game, you're like, wow. Yeah, this team is damn good. They they're clicking here. Look at they got all the pieces. They got a decent defense. And then the next game, you're like, ugh, yeah, I wouldn't mm. be taking them. Like both teams, Nuggets mm, and Jazz. I definitely. feel that way every time I watch them. I hate betting on these two teams. I do not want to make a prediction on this series because I can't stand these teams when it comes to that. Because you really don't know what you're going to get from night tonight. But Trey, what do you have as a key to the series? The reason the Jazz's stock dropped so much during the layoff is because they lost Bogdanovich. Because he honestly addresses both of these problems that Tass and Lee are bringing up. He's a great scorer. He's a really good shooter. It really helps on offense. And he's a good enough defender with yep. some serious size to to stick Michael Porter Jr. Not to mention Bogdanovich has playoff reps. Like he's guarded LeBron James in the playoffs. I'm sure he would relish the challenge of a guy of a rookie who's had two straight week two great weeks. Um, that's why key to me is Royce O'Neal. You guys have mentioned him a couple of times as maybe. He's going to step in and try and guard Michael Porter Jr. I would imagine he's their first choice since he seems to be their stopper. But size-wise, he's a lot smaller than Michael Porter Jr. I think if Royce O'Neal is being like 6'7", 6'8", he's only listed at 6'4", and we know Michael Porter Jr. is 6'10". We saw him knocking down threes from the corner just shooting over guys. You would think that's going to be uh, an avenue that he could get some points as well. Maybe they try Joe Ingles, but I don't know if that's going to necessarily hinder Michael Porter Jr., (laughs) <laughs> and then on the offensive end, I, I mean, who knows, right? Like Michael Porter Jr., we don't know what he's going to be like in the playoffs. Mm. I'm expecting him to be good. He's had a hot streak right now, but things are different. And it's a lot different when you're playing the same team every single time. But Royce O'Neal also has to score offensively. He can't mm-hmm. just be a defensive guy out there. He can't just be their Tory Craig. He was about 10 points per game in the bubble, which was an improvement. They need that, and they need him to make every three-point shot that gets kicked out to him because there just aren't a lot of wing options for the Jazz with Bogdanovich on the bench. Yeah, my key to the series is always Kitchener's finest, Jamal Murray, <laughs> especially the Nuggets in any playoff series. He's such, he's so important to them winning game series, going on a deep run. If you remember last year, that was the case uh, in the playoffs. When he, Jamal Murray, played well, shot the ball efficiently, scored, the Nuggets generally won. When he didn't, they lost. Um, it was sort of that simple. So he played in 14 playoff games. Denver won seven and lost seven. In the seven wins, he scored 24 points per game. In the seven losses, usually on bad efficiency, he only scored 18 points per game. It's a bit of a window there. So he's interesting. He From game to game, he's he, he can be frustrating because he's tough at trying to string them together. But uh, when he's going now with Michael Porter Jr. and then, of course, Jokic, um, having his way at times with Gobert. I mean, let's be honest, too. We haven't really gotten into that. Yeah, that's a tough matchup for anybody. And even Gobert has struggles with him when Jokic is throwing around his weight there, even slim Jokic. Um, Jamal, to me, is just, can he play solid in four games? And if he does, I like Denver's chances to have enough uh, offensive firepower to, to beat the Jazz. But let's get to predictions. Tass, where are you leaning? Ooh, I'm not a fan of watching this Jazz offense play, but I, I, I have dreams of Con- or, um, Ingles stepping out with that funny-looking flat-hand shot and, and burying some threes. And Mike Conley being his old self, uh, but you know that hasn't happened. You lose your number two scorer in Bogdanovich. Those guys are going to have to have a huge turnaround, like you know, a Michael Porter Jr. coming out of nowhere these last two weeks. Joe Ingles is going to have to come out of nowhere. Mike Conley is going to have to come out of nowhere for them to be great. So I think the Nuggets should take care of business, but their defense isn't a good good enough for a sweep. Nuggets in five. Nuggets in five. All right, Lee. I think uh, both teams are going to fall asleep for a couple of games in this series and, and sort of look like they could take it, but ultimately I think Denver's got too much offense, and I just uh, I just don't trust the Jazz. I uh, They've, they've been a very frustrating team all season and in the bubble, but I do think they're capable against uh, the Nuggets of pulling off a couple of victories. So I'll say Denver in six. Nuggets in six. Trey, where are you going? I've got a little bit of confidence in the Jazz as a team that's been to the playoffs a few times. Gobert, he can get scored on by a Jokic, but he's also a pretty decent offensive player so far against Denver this season. Um, that being said, I feel like Denver is going to be up more than they're down. 
Whereas the Jazz likely down a little bit more than up. That's how it is in the mountains. A couple of mountain man teams here. <laughs> Give me the Nuggets in seven. You know, Denver Denver can have some stinkers too. Jokic can have stinkers. They like can, you said, Skeets. Sure. Murray has stinkers. Yep. Donovan Mitchell can go for 25 and a half and then six and a half. It's the same team, but they wear different kinds of jerseys. So I don't see how it doesn't go seven games. All right. Wow. Um, I saw Schumann. He was breaking down like the efficiency and points scored by the location and type in regular season series between a lot of these teams. And with these two teams, the contrast is crazy wild. It's the Nuggets were plus 95 on two point shots and at the free throw line. And the Jazz were plus 84 from three point range. Those are wild numbers for not that many games. Um, so you can just see where the Nuggets are trying to get theirs and the Jazz. I mean, maybe it shocks a lot of people, but in this series, at least, in the games they've played, you know, just dominating them from distance. Um, no Bogdanovich, that does hurt, but that's going to be fun to watch. I'm with Trey, though. I can't trust either of these teams from night to night, which means this thing probably goes long when both teams at times maybe even have the opportunity to, like, end the series, you know what I mean? Like, uh-oh, we could just end it here now and be over in five. Uh-uh, that's not going to happen. I like Nuggets in seven um, as well. I think the Jazz might actually surprise some people because some people think the Nuggets might roll over them. And I think we have a weird series here. Uh, it just feels right to me. We got to have, this would be my first, I think Trey, you too, our first uh, seven game prediction in the first round. There's got to be one or two out there in the <laughs> bubble, right? Feels especially with no home court advantage. I mean, got to get something wild happening down there. So all right, I'm Nuggets in seven with Trey. Tass, you went Nuggets in five, is that correct? Mm-hmm. And Lee, you went Nuggets in six? Yep. Okay. Final series, guys. Four or five, Rockets Thunder. Rockets have home court advantage. Throw that in air quotes. I'm upset by that because I like to say Thunder Rockets instead of Rockets Thunder. Thunder Rockets is always more fun to say. But no, it's Rockets Thunder. Game one tips Tuesday, August 18th at 6.30 p.m. Eastern on TNT. little dinner basketball. OKC took the season series 2-1. Though the last time they played was back in January, which is, I believe, eight years ago. <laughs> so, the real injury with this one, the key injury, is how long can Houston last without Russell Westbrook? He's scheduled to miss at least the start of the series. Is it a game or two? Does it actually depend if uh, the Rockets lose the first game, they lose the second game? Uh-oh, Wes, Russ, you've got to get back. Who knows? Task besides the Westbrook equation, though, what else is the key to the series for you? Well, yeah, because Russell Westbrook is out... Guys are going to have to step up for the Rockets that usually don't have to step up. Uh, Eric Gordon has been a a pretty prominent player in their past, but this year he just hasn't been Eric Gordon, and he hasn't had to be because Russell Westbrook took on so much of the the playmaking responsibilities. But now Westbrook out at least a game, two, three, to start the series, whatever that means. And so a lot's going to be put on James Harden's shoulders, obviously. He's going to have to do a ton. What happens when James Harden goes to the bench? Who the heck knows? Because it was all Russell Westbrook when he went to the bench. He was setting up everything. 25 drives per game uh, in the bubble. It's third in the NBA. And Eric Gordon has not looked like himself, like I said, all season. But he's only been back after an injury for two games. He's played 36 games all year. That's going to be scary stuff for the Rockets. It's it's weird to think of um, the OKC Thunder coming into the season as a, a deep team. But in comparison to the Rockets, they're real deep. They're so, so deep. And... and James Harden's probably going to have Lou Dort, the Lou Tensel, shout out to Canada on him, and uh, that's not going to be easy. Uh, What's you know, the status with Lou Dort? I know he got banged up near the end of the bubble. Is I he, think he's okay. Is he good to go? Okay, because that's so. huge. Like Tass is yeah. right. I mean, he's he's their Harden stopper or slower, um, but I know he was. Uh, he, he had a pretty nasty little injury at the end there, but they're saying he's okay. That's good. Yeah, they're going to you know hunt out switches uh, for Harden, obviously, and and get Dort off of him. But uh, all in all, Harden was not good against the Thunder this season. He shot 37% against them, only five assists, uh, thanks to our man John Schumann. Let's end this podcast with a John Schumann stat. Oh. Start it with a John Schumann stat. The guy is everywhere. Uh, and so I'm not really concerned, even when Dort's not on him. Uh, I think... Uh, the Thunder will find a way. Eric Gordon is going to have to be big in this series, and I'm just not buying it right now. Uh, and uh, and then if it's not Eric Gordon, is it Daniel House? Is it Covington? And then off the bench, Austin Rivers, Ben McLemore, Jeff Green, Damari Carroll. Those guys are going to have to step up. So I'm a little bit worried about the Rockets and Eric Gordon. Oh, my God. That's got to 
pain you to say that, being such an Eric Gordon fan too, man. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, he just get your Austin Rivers stock though. He's gonna <laughs> yeah. do it, man. Do buy it, sure, sure, sure. <laughs> Playoff <laughs> Rivers. Good luck with that. Good luck with that. Um, all right, Trey, what's your key to this series? Thunder Rockets, Rockets Thunder. I think the Rockets can still win this series without Russell Westbrook. The key is playing Steven Adams off the floor because, like you're saying, the Thunder have more depth. But if you can't play your third best guy, then that that really hurts um, because it means at that point it would mean that the Rockets are not getting killed on the glass because the, the Thunder wouldn't necessarily need the rebounding from Steven Adams or or maybe it's just not effective. It would also mean that the, the Rockets' bigs Biggs, if you will, P.J. Tucker, Jeff Green, Robert Covington, means they're hitting threes. That's good for math. There's a huge responsibility for everybody else now on the glass for the Rockets because I think that's a something you kind of forget with, with Westbrook is not only is he a great creator, not only is he a great offensive player who creates so much in transition, he's a great rebounding guard, yeah. right? Like, he's their power forward hitting the glass. Uh, so that's a – you're going to need a lot of boards from P.J. Tucker and Jeff Green. You're going to need them to hit their threes when it gets kicked out to the corner because they're going to be open, right? Like, Steven Adams ain't going to be able to get over to the corner uh, when – when they're sitting out there after a drive from Harden, you got to make OKC adjust and play rocket style basketball because then that makes the Thunder's defense way worse. And they're not used to playing that way where, uh, where the Rockets are. Maybe you can outshoot them. Maybe you can outmath them. The Thunder are not a three point shooting team. They love it in the mid range. Whereas oh, we know Houston wants to knock down threes. If you can turn the math your way, if you can get, the big, big off the court, there's a chance for the Rockets. Yeah, Adams is fascinating to watch in this series because all what you're saying is true. Can they play him off the floor? But the flip side of that is that he just feasts on these smaller Rockets guys and just mm-hmm. cleans up inside. And he's looked, I thought, he looked strong early on, especially in the bubble. And they were, like, going to him. We talked about it before on a couple of those bubble wrap podcasts. Like, they'll look to Adams. And, like, he, he can, he'll get deep post position. You can throw it to him. He'll catch it. And he, he's a bit of a bucket there. And if he misses, he's got a good chance to get the rebound anyway. Okay. Lee, what are you watching in this series? Well, that, that is my key there, Stephen Adams. What happens with him? Because uh, he's just such a big, strong body down there and you know pj tucker we know he's a big strong body as well and he's gonna try to get in the corner and hit those threes but um you know john hollinger pointed out in an article as well this morning like we see the rockets as a three-point shooting team but they only shoot 35 percent from downtown so it's not like that actually really kills teams and we know as well the rockets they also go freezing cold sometimes in games um so that's going to be key without westbrook out there it just so much more of it falls on the shoulders of James Harden to get those other guys shots and a bit like the Mavericks earlier if they're hitting shots then the Rockets stay in the game but if they're not you really wonder uh, how they're going to compete still and I think um, Stephen Adams actually didn't have big numbers against the Thunder in the games they played this year one game he barely played against he, he was Rockets, injured yeah. yeah against the Rockets um, but he will just gobble up I think all those uh, rebounds because I just don't see the Rockets crashing the offensive glass. They basically shoot it, and if it goes in, great. And if not, they get back on defense. So um, that's the key here. And then, again, Stephen Adams inside. If you if you get him inside and posting up, getting some easy baskets, and I think Chris Paul will try to get inside and exploit that, then I think it just gives uh, the Thunder another advantage. So, um, But the Rockets are a, a funny team because, you know, they, they Daryl Morey went with this small ball, and, and at, at, at t- definitely at times before the bubble or before the suspension, it was working. You know, they were able to sort of outrun teams. So that'll be what they try to do here. But uh, I think if Stephen Adams is out there on the floor and is effective at both ends, he's going to have all the rebounds. And, you know, he'll have a, a, the size advantage inside. Um, and then you've got Gilgis Alexander. You've got Chris Paul as well, who's been incredible this season. So I think the uh, Thunder have just a few few different options and a few different weapons that are, are going to be tough for a Rockets team that also doesn't play great defense. Yeah, I, that's what I'm watching in this series. I've talked about it already a little bit when we were like knowing that these two teams could play each other, so I won't go that long on it. But it's like this control. Who controls the pace of this series? Because you said it, the Rockets, I mean, they're all in on small ball. I mean, they're doing that. They have no other options. Capella's gone. They don't have any big guys. So they're going to you know, get up and down. Everything's going to go through Harden, of course, and they'll fire away from three. The, yeah, they shoot 35%, but they shoot like 60 three-point attempts. So the math maybe works out for them. Yeah, they well, make the most in the league yeah right so that that's them but then the the thunder with chris paul as like the total like you know air traffic controller like he has his fingerprints on everything happening he's not i don't think he's gonna like fall into the trap of playing at that speed that's just not him he's he knows it's gonna make the rockets more uncomfortable to 
use 23 seconds out of the shot clock to maybe pick at your spots when you want to run or not. Like, he will just maybe try and just, like, upset them because he's like, no, 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 we're going to play like this. We're going to go inside to Adams. We're going to move the ball a little bit. So that, to me, is just fascinating. Like, especially the Chris Paul versus Harden style of up and down versus the slow it down. Uh, who wins that? Uh, who can who can do that enough here uh, to take four games in this seven-game series? So that, that's what I got my eye on. And I'll just add that if these games are close, that might favor OKC, who had an insane record in close games, mainly because of Chris Paul, but Schroeder was bit huge in moments, SGA, Gallinari. Those guys like played in a ton of clutch time when you know games were five points or uh, less in the final five minutes of the game, they were like a 30 and 14 record. OKC was just that's a crazy, crazy stat for close games and like pulling them out more times than not. And that's like Chris Paul, like, nope, I'll just get my jumper and uh, it'll be over. I'll get to my spot. I'm like Kawhi Leonard, mini Kawhi Leonard, and hit my jumper there. So that'll be uh, that'll be fun if it's a close game. So let's get predictions. Final one here. Uh, let's start with you, Lee, because you have been talking up this series for months. You said <laughs> way, way, way back. I don't know. When did you say this? January? That, Something like that. Yeah, yeah that the, the Thunder were going to upset the Rockets. And we were all like, whoa, man, you're crazy. <laughs> so are you sticking with that prediction? Oh, no, I'm changing. I'm going the Rockets in six. No, uh, of course, the Thunder, I think they are going to win. Again, I just, I think without Westbrook, that also adds it into the favor of yep. the Thunder. Um, so I'll, I'll go the Thunder. But of course, uh, the, you know, the way the Rockets play, the way that their uh, offense is, they're going to win a couple of games. So I'll say Thunder in six. Thunder in six. He is sticking with his upset. And it is an upset because OKC yeah. is in the five <laughs> spot. So that worked out for you. Is it an upset? Are well, the Thunder favorites now? No, I thought, I thought. well, do you mean just like from the media perspective? Yeah. Well, yeah, you might be right. Uh, but technically, it is a 4-5, as I said. Houston is the home team, so I guess it wouldn't be an upset. So let's see uh, what's happening in the Thunder Rockets betting lines. Well, it's basically like a pick em. It's Ooh. a pick em. Okay. Jeez. So, Tass, yeah. where are you going then? I think we're going to get uh, a team winning one game, then the other team winning another game, all the way to seven. We're giving wins back and forth until the Thunder take it all in seven games. I think uh, I think this will be the, the long one, and it'll be a nice tough ass series with Chris Paul and James Harden going at it uh it, it should be a fun one okay thunder and seven Lee says thunder and six Ta- Trey my man are we gonna have a disagreement here on one of these uh playoff preview contests are you gonna go Rockets Skeets you can count on me give me the reverse anti-upset Rockets in seven <laughs> okay I think if the Thunder are posting up Steven Adams regularly that is a win for Houston you know they'll be like okay cool you'll go to a post-up play one of the most inefficient plays in all of basketball great we'll go take a three-pointer on the other end they will take that math all day long I've got Austin Rivers stock he shows up in the playoffs he plays defense and you know he's got the confidence to hit a shot will we see Westbrook who knows that definitely changes things uh to Houston's advantage uh but even without him I'm still confident that the Rockets can knock off the Thunder Rockets in seven Oh, man, Rockets in seven. We've got a Thunder in seven out there. I'm torn. I'm torn on this one. You guys are making great cases for both teams. i got to say, Trey's almost got me to change my pick here and say, uh-oh. I, think I took a vow to not say anything about Chris Paul negatively, but I appreciate all those clutch stats from the regular season. Yeah, yeah, but, like, Harden is a monster. I mean, you're trying to convince me that, like, I love Lou Dort, don't get me wrong, especially being a Canadian, but... <laughs> It's James Harden. I mean, he's going to figure out how to score on Lou Dort. He's going to get to the line. He's going to hit threes. It's Will the it be emphasis enough? on that last name, isn't it? You can't just say Lou Dort. It's Lou no, Dort. It's, it's the Steve Holt like we did in the <laughs> yeah. summer league. It's Lou Dort. Um, wow. I'm with you, Trey. I'm flipping it. I can't believe it. I have it in my notes, Thunder and Seven, but I think you've convinced me. Now, this whole Steven Adams thing, maybe that works in their favor. Ah, man. Give me the Rockets and Seven. It's going Seven. I'm convinced on that one. So, uh, who shows up in Game Seven? And uh, can the Rockets basically hit threes in a game seven? That's all it comes down to. So <laughs> Notoriously go... good three-point shooting team in game sevens as well. <laughs> right, If you look right, back right, historically. Right. Oh, boy. I'm going to regret <laughs> this pick for sure. Okay, so Trey and I going Rockets in seven. Tasco and Thunder in seven. And Lili, my man, going Thunder in six. Those are our Western Conference first-round predictions. Wow, so he'll miss at least a couple games. 
No, no, no it's four days if you approved. Yeah. If you're if you've taken a test every day that you're gone. Yeah, which you will. That, which you will. If you have negative tests every day you're gone. Yeah, it's a four day quarantine upon. So he's going to miss two or three games though, right? Yeah. Okay. Wow, 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 wow. Okay, does anybody want to change their Nuggets uh, jazz pick because of this Mike Conley news? Go ahead. Now's your time. I'll hold my peace. Okay. okay. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Okay, me too, me too. All right. Let's hear from you guys. Let us know on Twitter. At No Dunks Inc. Let's hear your predictions. Break them down for us. Tweet at us. Hashtag No Dunks if you want as well. Check out our brand new t-shirt we dropped at nodunks.com. Go grab one of those. If you listen to the podcast on iTunes, leave your boys a sweet five-star rating and review. We'll be back on Monday, as I said, off the top of the show with a new Beach Steppin' podcast. Plan is to go live on YouTube if you want to join us then around 10 a.m. Eastern. Make sure you subscribe to No Dunks on YouTube. Hit the like button. Turn on the notifications. And then you'll know when we're live. Just keep those questions coming to nodunksattheathletic.com. All right. These are always a blast. The Playoff Preview Podcast. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you on Monday. Clipper Bros. You heard it here first. Have a great time. Turn up. Love you guys. Awesome. Thanks for joining us, folks. I got two parting words of wisdom because you made me think of one that I didn't like with that Lou Dort comment. When people say bowl bowl, the emphasis on the first bowl, very wrong. It's bowl bowl. It's not bowl bowl. It's bowl bowl. I know you can't really hear it when I say it like that, but it's definitely not bowl bowl. It's bowl bowl. My second parting word of wisdom. In these strange playoffs, home court advantage is gone, but home music advantage is very much alive. Shout out to John Hollinger for that one. Embrace the day, people. You could stay. Ooh.